Hi, friends. Welcome to Womankind. I'm here in episode 25 with my guest this week, Aisha Ash. Aisha, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Aisha is a former professional ballerina, and she is the founder and creator of the Swan Dreams Project. And so we'll get into all of that background. But first, I just want to talk about what led me to reach out to Aisha and the Swan Dreams Project, which is the viral video that has been going around on social, or I'm sorry, the viral photograph that's been going around on social media. It's a picture of a ballerina who is black walking around an inner city neighborhood, um, reaching out to young black girls. So that really, I saw it it pop up in five places. And really, that's what really stuck out to me. So Aisha, tell us a little bit about that photograph. Yeah, so um, that's sort of the the premise of the project is me, you know, putting on my ballet attire, which typically is, you know, my point shoes and, and a tutu. Um, that could be, you know, the very short tutu, classic tutus that most people are used to seeing, or sometimes it's the longer romantic tutus. Uh, that particular tutu was a, a classical um, tutu. And, uh, we were just out uh, in the neighborhood, um, scouting locations. And we had, um, gone to, to various uh, locations already in downtown Rochester. And we just were walking down the street and we happened to see, um, something that's, you know, very common in, and around my community, especially when the weather is nice, you see people sometimes just out on the street, they have the car doors open, they're maybe playing music and people are just gathering around, you know, just, drinking, smoking, you know, um, and we just thought, well, you know, let's, let's get this, let's get this as part of my community. Like, let's get some images here. And we started shooting and just kind of chatting with the folks there. And, uh, you know, I don't remember if, I don't recall if it was either myself or one of the photographers that sort of noticed these two little girls. Um, and I, you know, immediately just wanted to kind of pull them to the side. Um, because I just felt like they didn't, they didn't need to be, you know, around all of that. And, um, you know, there was a, a chain link fence. And so we just, you know, I naturally just grabbed on and just started teaching them some steps and teaching them some, some tendus and plies, just some classical ballet steps. Um, and, you know, the photographer just started, which was um, Arlene Thaler and, and Daryl Thaler. They just began just shooting away while, while I was doing that. But my, you know, my focus was the girl. So it wasn't, you know, and, and that's pretty much the project. It's not always, you know, these, um, very staged things. It's just what we see. And, and we want that real authentic reaction of what's going on. But in that moment, I had almost, you know, forgot about the photographer and just really got involved with these little girls and showing them my shoes. And I think that one image I'm showing them a tondu and showing them, um, how to point their foot, um, with a straight leg and pointed toes. And, and you can see me pointing with my finger and the little girls, you know, trying to, trying to mimic. Um, and I, you know, I really recall, um, once that finished, I just kind of got on my, my knee and I looked up to them and I said, you know, now, you know, tell me you guys, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And one of the little girls looked at me and said, a princess. <laughs> and for me, that was, that was everything in that moment because I felt like she got it. She got the project because it wasn't, even though there I was, you know, dressed like a ballerina and she could have very well said that, but what she saw was a princess, you know, and that's what she wanted to be. And that's what she got out of that. And, and that's exactly what I wanted to pass along to them. You know, it's not just here. I'm a ballerina. I want you to be a ballerina too, 
but it's just what that stood, what that stands for, and that we don't see women of color stand for that. We don't see that often uh, portrayed in the media mm-hmm. and children's books and cartoons on TV. You know, as women of color as princesses and angels and fairies and mm-hmm. you know the, the things of little girls, a lot of little girls' dreams and fantasies. And and I wanted to be that for them, and that's exactly what she got. Mm-hmm. So. It just, you know, besides the fact that it filled me with tears in that moment, oh, no. it, was also, it was also great joy knowing that, you know, she, this is what I represented for her and this is what I wanted to be for her. And she got, she exactly got that out of it. In viewing that photograph, the looks on those girls' faces, it's just adorable. They're so enthralled in the moment. Yeah. And they're really, they're imi- they have their feet out because they are imitating you. And it's just, it is such a special moment. And it, I, I like knowing that it's a candid moment and not a staged yeah. moment. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, and, it's, and that's what I love about it. I love, you know, just being able to get out there. And I think that's one of the most fascinating things with this um, project. And we were always, the photographer and I were like, why don't we have, like a video, you know, so that we can mm-hmm. at least have sound of the reactions. And I mm-hmm. think that was, you know, I always say that for me, that was even more powerful than the images themselves mm-hmm. to hear the reaction of, of, of passerbys or just the people that I stop and, and chat with, um, just how, just the fact that I showed up there, you know, what that means to them, just the fact of me just walking around in my tutu and what that stood for, what that meant to them. Because Mm -hmm. I, I am retired when I did the, when I first started doing the project in 2011, I was retired. Mm -hmm. So I'm not out there on the street doing Swan Lake or, you know, I'm not, (laughs) not, I'm not dancing anymore. I'm very retired, you know, the first shoot I did, I had already given birth to my first child and Mm -hmm. the image where you saw um, with the little girls, I had given birth to my second child. Um, so I have two kids. And so I, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I'm not any, you know, athletic shape, you know, I should say to, to be out on the street and, you know, doing any, any huge, you know, balletic feats. Um, but it wasn't necessary and that's not what was needed. And that's not Mm. also what I wanted to do for the project. It was more the idea, the idea of what, of what a ballerina represents. Right. Um, now you did mention that, so I saw that photograph not too long ago, maybe a few months ago when it was popping up in all these different places, but you did mention that that is an older photograph, correct? It is. It's an older photograph. And I think that particular image was done about three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, if not a little bit more, it's probably three years ago or so. And yeah, the beginning of the project was in 2011 and the article that was attached, um, to that image uh, was a dance mag- magazine article that came out a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really a great surprise that it suddenly this year just kind of took <laughs> off and went and went viral, which is just even just weird to say that it went, <laughs> went viral. Um, but yeah, I just remember, you know, kind of that morning, you sort of get these Facebook posts of like, this is what you did a year ago today or something. And it's not something I reposted. I just kind of, you know, always ignore those. Um, and then, you know, it was later on that day that my brother, somehow he got wind of it and he posted it on his page and he was, you know, sent me a, a message that he was all excited that he had 13 shares. And I thought that that was really cute. I was like, oh, that's sweet. Um, but little and, did you know. Yeah. And then as the day went on, I just kept seeing notifications pop up on my phone and I'm going, what is happening? And then I just kept seeing do- the donation button keep getting hit on my website, which I hadn't seen the donation button hit like ever. <laughs> um, I think I had, since I started in 2011, I had maybe one donation. 
Um, and the rest of it had been just completely Mm self-funded. Um, and we had done, I had done quite a bit as far as donating images, even fine art photography. Um, and so that was really exciting. I just kind of thought, well, what is going on? And then my brother was like, you know, now I have these many shares. And then I went, you know, to the article itself and then started seeing, you know, hundreds and hundreds. And then it got to thousands and then people started, I started having all these interview requests and, that's when I realized, okay, this is kind of going getting out of hand. You know, something has really happened here. And that's when I realized by the end of the day that this had indeed gone viral. Mm-hmm. So at this point, tell us a little bit more about the Swan Dreams Project and uh, what its mission is. So the Swan Dreams Project, in, in essence, it uses my art um, as a ballet dancer and photography to challenge and dispel stereotypes and myths that exist for women of color and ex- in particular those from underserved communities. And it stemmed from this desire I had that sort of grown in me from a young child. Mm-hmm. Um, I was from the inner city of Rochester, New York, and I was part of what they called the urban suburban program. It's where kids from the inner city were bussed out to a suburban school, uh, typically because parents felt like that they would receive better schooling uh, mm-hmm. from you know a particular school in the suburbs. And Having done that and be exposed to that environment, and I should say, you know, exposing the suburban kids to the, you know, kids from the inner city, I came up against some adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nothing crazy, but it was, you know, just those little sort of, um, those little things that sort of nip away at your identity and self worth, mm-hmm. especially as a very young child. I mean, we're talking elementary school age. And, you know, we would get, I would get questions, uh, things that, you know, I always often tell in, in interviews that the things that stick with me and remain with me are, were the questions like, you know, do you have a drug dealer on every corner? Um, do you have a front yard? Do you have a backyard? Do you have a grass on your front yard? I mean, it's just sort of the, I guess, the um, innocent ignorance is what I always mm-hmm. called it. Um, because they're, they're young kids and they just don't know. And so you judge with, by what? you see on television mm-hmm. by what has been told to you. Um, there's no reference. Um, mm-hmm. And so you finally have these inner city, city kids coming and I guess that's their time to question. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I saw two sides of, of the reactions to that. I saw one side that um, would address that with a lot of anger and frustration. Um, and I understood that. And, and then I saw the other side that just seemed to just want to uh, retreat and blend, um, you know, the ones that just almost wanted to deny their their blackness in a way um, and just want to just be accepted as one of everyone else. And, and that was their sort of coping mechanism. And I understood that as well. But I never saw that either side really solved anything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I understood this from very early on that the best way is to not only show who you are and be judged by, by that, uh, by leading by example, but um, dialogue was extremely mm-hmm. important to talk, you know, and to kind of, and it took a lot more patience. It took a lot of swallowing my pride. And I realize, you know, there are many who don't feel as though that that is necessary, that they should do that. And I understand that. Um, but I was one that I had enough patience. Um, and I liked to see the positive results that, that stemmed from that. So that's sort of the path that I took. Mm-hmm. And I took that into my art. So when I first started dancing at the age of five, I did tap jazz and lyrical. I saw my sights for Broadway. Ballet wasn't something that I naturally loved um, or wanted even to do. And it took a, um, it was a, 
a guest teacher that came to my ballet to my dance studio and she told my mom that I had some promise for ballet and uh, she was explaining that you know in order to get better at other forms of dance you know ballet is the is the basis and you know it's you know it's great to to have a strong ballet background you know to improve the other forms of dance and so I was hesitant but I said okay <laughs> and I started to go to the the ballet studio in um, while also attending my sort of jazz tap, you know, other studio. And it wasn't something that I still was in love with. I was still very hesitant. But I was doing a lot of competing. I was uh, participating in a lot of dance competitions. I was often winning. And uh, the other forms of dance came very easy for me. And just the competing and winning became very boring. Um, and I didn't, as I got older, it wasn't really a challenge anymore. And I sort of started losing my fire for it. Mm -hmm. And I saw ballet as extremely challenging. I wasn't a natural at it. I didn't, I didn't feel. Um, and there was a lot of that, the technique of ballet that did not come naturally for me. And it was very hard. Uh, so around 10 and a half, 11 is when I made the decision, this is something I want to pursue. And that's rather late uh, to get serious about mm -hmm. ballet. Because of the because the way that the, the the technique of ballet is so demanding that you want to start forming that at a young age. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, and especially the fact that you know I, my hip my hips didn't naturally rotate out the way many ballet dancers do, and so that was very hard to just kind of get my body to form that way. It was just it was just not easy. Um, so I felt like you know my entire career I was playing the catch up game. Mm -hmm. Um, but fast forward, I, you know, started to pursue it seriously. And then I noticed that kids were going away for summer programs and it's almost like ballet summer camp mm -hmm. where if you, if you are serious about ballet, you go away to these large summer schools, uh, summer camps, summer programs, uh, where you are exposed to kids from all over, not only all over the United States, but all over the world. Um, so they sort of, it's like handpicked almost the best of the best and you get to see other training and, um, you get to work with, you know, sometimes famous teachers and choreographers and have a closer, um, exposure to dance companies, etc. So when my mom began inquiring about these summer programs and how one goes about auditioning and getting all the information, she was warned that as a woman of color, it would be very difficult for me to enter the ballet world. Um, and now having heard a little bit of my background of going through the urban suburban program and kind of mm -hmm. this sort of was like this mission of mine since a young child to sort of, you know, challenge these stereotypes. I sort of took that head on, you know, I was like, okay, this is yet, a, yet in another challenge that, you know, I want to, I want to tackle. Um, and so I, I took that sort of desire and mission that I, that sort of developed in me as a young child. I took that into my art. And I used, um, although, you know, I do love ballet and I, you know, I love all forms of dance, you know, um, and ballet was a huge challenge for me. And I liked, I liked that challenge. I liked, um, uh, being, um, pushed and, um, mentally and physically challenged each and every day. Um, but I also liked the challenge that, you know, I could sort of carry this sort of mission of mine into, into dance now. And so I used, um, I used ballet as sort of, and, and, you know, my, the stage every night as, you know, a platform, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, to show the world that 
women of color are more than a stereotype, you know, that we can be the fairies and the princesses and what better way to do that than with my art form, because that's what you had to be as a dancer. You had to portray this fairy, this ethereal creature being and, you know, the swan and the Juliette and all of the, you know, all the ways that, you know, one um, doesn't see a woman of color in society, you know, on an, on a day to day basis. And, um, I wanted to use my art to show the world that we can be this and more. Mm -hmm. And so I left uh, the New York City Ballet rather early. Um, I was only there for about eight years. Um, and I thought I was going to retire altogether. I had lost my sister to cancer just before getting into the company. And then while I was in the company, just before deciding to retire, uh, what sort of spearheaded that was having lost my father to cancer. And I wanted to just leave the dance world. At that point, I wanted to leave the dance world altogether. I didn't want to dance any longer. Um, you know, as I said, I didn't have the natural facility for ballet. So it was a, a huge struggle for me, not only technically, but even my body. I was told at the age of 13 to lose weight. So dieting was constantly a challenge, just keeping my body in check. Um, so there was the, you know, the dieting, the the physical, technical aspects of, of it that was a challenge. And then being a minority. Uh, in this world. So it was just one, two million challenges piled on top of each other that I just felt um, each and every day I had to give 150%. And I just felt that I couldn't do that any longer. Um, and I remember leaving the company and there was a young dancer walking across Lincoln Center Plaza, which is the home of New York State Theater where I performed. And it was another dancer of color. And she stopped me and said, are you Aisha Ash? I said, yes, I am. And she said, you know, I just want to tell you that um, I love your dancing and you being on that stage means so much to me. And we are so proud of you. And every time we see you, we just are just are so happy. And we, 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 she kept saying we. And I knew exactly what she meant. Mm -hmm. She was talking about the black dance community. And then I just, I just began crying right there on the plaza. And, uh, you know, I told her, I'm really sorry, but I feel like I'm letting you all down because I'm leaving the company. And I remember she be began crying a little bit too. And uh, she was just, you know, reassuring me that I had accomplished what I wanted to, that, you know, already having seen me and the, the amount of times that she saw me already meant a lot. And, you know, that that wouldn't be forgotten. But, um, but I, I felt even though I did get convinced to keep dancing, I then went off to Switzerland and danced with Bejar. I came to San Francisco and danced with Alonzo King Lines and then finished off with Christopher Wielden. Having left City Ballet, I felt like in that company, being the only woman of color meant something. And that was, you know, if I were to to break barriers there, what I wanted, uh, I wanted that um, that platform to be, you know, a principal dancer there and what that stood for um, to that's what I really wanted to accomplish. I wanted to to have it happen there and what that would have stood for because there was there was never a principal ballerina with New York City Ballet. Uh, there was only ever one woman of color at a time at the time when I was in the company. Um, and one would leave and then they would just hire one more. Mm -hmm. And so it meant a lot to me if I would have broken down those barriers there. And it wasn't so much the idea of just because I was a black principal ballerina. It's what having that status, what then that would mean being on that stage and being a woman of color and showing the world that, you know, 
all the roles that maybe I would get, you know, and having them see a woman of color portraying this Juliet, this swan, this whatever, um, and what that would mean. Um, that's what I wanted the world to see more than just, oh, you know, she was a, a black ballerina, the first black principal ballerina. And so although I kept dancing, there was still something in me that I felt died and left that I had kind of left there, that sort of mission that I had started from a young child. And that never left me. And there was always that sadness there that I just kind of left that when I left New York City. And fast forward again, I was a mother, a new mother. I had given birth to my first child, which was a girl. And she was I was sitting on the sofa. She was playing around the coffee table in front of me. And an image came on the screen, um, a very stereotypical, sort of vulgar, charactered image of a black uh, woman. And I remember getting very angry, one, of seeing this image and tired of this is something that just gets thrown in my face time and time and time again and, and repeated time and time again uh, throughout the media. And then very frustrated and sad that I had given up that dream so long ago when I left City Ballet. And I was looking at my daughter and looking at this image going, you know, I, what was all the blood, sweat and tears for? All the sacrifice my family made for me to reach the level that I did and then just to just stop. Like, what was it all for? It, it couldn't have just been just for that. You know, all that work, all that sacrifice, all the suffering, just to now have to just sit back here and just take, you know, this image and just accept it and go, okay, well, that's what we're going to show the world. Okay. And I thought, no, there's got to be something I can do. But I wasn't going to go back dancing. I had, you know, was very happily a mother. I, I sort of, which is not typical of a dancer, I sort of quit dance cold turkey. I wasn't, you know, going and taking classes. I wasn't, I just went threw myself into motherhood full on, volunteering at the school and, you know. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm not going back. What else can I do? And that brought me, you know, as I was there, just very pensive, it, it brought me back to the School of American Ballet. And there was an image in the dormitories where I stayed. We stayed as a student of the school. We stayed in dorms. Um, and it was an image of then dancer uh, Andrea Long. And she was in the company when I was in the school. And she was the lone black female in the company. And that meant something. And so to see her in this image in the school, hanging in the school was just everything for me. And on those days where I just felt like I cannot go another day, this is too hard. I, I just, I don't, I don't feel like I belong um, fighting to feel beautiful in this world. And not, and that's not just the, the ballet world. That's even once I left the ballet world, you know, you look at, magazines and past children books and, you know, see cartoons and on TV. And it's like nothing is reflective of, of you as, as a ballerina and what you're trying to achieve as a ballerina, um, that you're trying to show this, this world that, you know, no, we, we are also soft and elegant and ethereal and all of these things. And then you leave and society is throwing back at you. No, we see you as this and only this. Um, and so that was very, um, frustrating for me. And so, um, you know, I, I would constantly have to just self-motivate and encourage myself to keep going and feel that, you know, I belonged in this, in this world. Um, and that I, you know, I, I can show this world that yes, I am also beautiful and angelic and ethereal and all of these things, all of the attributes that one would reserve for a ballerina. 
And so looking at those images, that image of her on my lowest of days, it would fill me with not only pride to know that there was another woman of color there and just I was so happy for that, um, but courage because I knew that she had to have a great deal of courage to be where she is and be the only one to having gone through the school and now in the company. It validated me also, uh, making me feel that, yes, you you do deserve to be here. You can be here. Um, so thinking about that image, I thought how powerful that one see was just one image. That one singular image was for me. I thought, well, that's what I could do. I could use photography. I'm not going to start dancing and go performing all over the place. And I also thought, well, wow, that's even more powerful because, you know, ballet takes someone interested in ballet and the art. And it's just, it's only that those number of individuals who are coming to see the ballet. Um, but images can reach everywhere and all over the world where, you know, not just on the stage of New York State Theater um, or wherever stage I may be. And so that's what led me to, and I thought I was only going to do it in my hometown of Rochester, New York. And so I called a photographer and wanted to sort of almost create an ad campaign in a way of just take images and just plaster them all over Rochester on the bodega on the corner and the billboards and community centers and schools and, you know, just on street corners and just wherever I could just so that kids can just see a positive image of themselves and someone from their environment. Um, and it was really important for me when I sat down with a photographer that it wasn't just this pretty ballet picture with a pretty ballet pose and look at her leaping through the air or lifting her leg that I really wanted the images to speak to someone that I wanted to what I really wanted was the idea of a ballerina to come through the image and for that to be in my hometown that someone from this environment uh, that even in this environment, you can still see these beautiful diamonds and flowers and blossoming um, than in an environment where people just can pass by or just not notice uh, that there's all this beauty that is around that just gets overlooked. And that's what I wanted to see. I wanted them to see a woman of color soft and, and meek and gentle and ethereal and angelic. And so um, as I saw that the ad campaign was was going to be way too expensive and it was all coming from my pocket I thought okay well the next best thing I can do is just throw it on my Facebook page and after I had done that when the reception that came in which was nothing viral like what happened with the recent images but the reception I got was exactly what I wanted and that's when I knew I hit the the uh, hammer on the nail is it wasn't that you know, I was expecting maybe I would get, you know, some younger dancers that were touched by it. But it was a lot of older people, older women writing, saying that the images brought them to tears, that it it reminded them of dreams they let go. It, it reminded them of when they first, you know, stories of when they first entered a dance studio and they felt uncomfortable because their body or their hair, they were the only one. And, you know, some were writing me saying, you know, you've just reinvigorated this desire to to dance again and, and want to do ballet and you reignited this fire. Um, and I think, you know, now just looking at these images, I feel empowered and I want to go back to dance. And even though I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be in a company, I'm too old for that, but just to take classes or people writing saying, if I saw images like this, I would have never given up. Um, and so that was really powerful for me. And that's exactly what I wanted. There were people even captioning the images themselves, which I just, that was, I was really fascinated by that because it was a whole host of things, but even still it was like right on message. 
Um, and so that's when I knew I had something and I knew that the images were touching people in exactly the way that I wanted them to. Um, and then it, it just kind of developed almost into this social experiment where the images went out and it was basically whatever the community started demanding of me, like the, the images would spark something and a spark an idea for school, like, oh, can we have these images for a fundraiser or, you know, a mom reaching out, oh, you know, I have a daughter and, you know, it's hard for us to afford ballet and the image, this image of you, it just means so much. And, you know, me sending her, you know, a free image for her daughter or um, just schools asking, can we have some images? We have a few girls of color and I think it would mean a lot just to have some images of you in our studio. Um, people inviting me to speak and share my, my, not only my career, but the story of the project. Um, and it just, yeah, it, it started off as just sort of, I just want to put some pictures around Rochester to kind of blowing up into something, something bigger for what the community wants and needs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, thank you so much. That's such a beautiful story. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that you're taking something like ballet, something that, you know, a lot of people perceive as this like high art that's kind of inaccessible in a lot of ways. And you're bringing it to this kind of mainstream crowd and bringing it to people yeah. that maybe wouldn't necessarily have access to it. And it really is such a beautiful thing that you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and I think it's really funny because I, I, I think a lot of times I'll get from people is that, well, you know, ballet is an aesthetic that's, you know, and, and an art form that's hard for any woman to achieve. I mean, besides, you know, the look of a ballerina, I mean, what percentage of, of ballerinas actually make it professional? And, and that is absolutely true. I mean, ballet is an art form that is challenging for any woman, any girl. Um, it is a high art form and it is extremely challenging. Um, but then you add on top of that being a minority right? and it's even that much harder. Um, and so I think that's, I, I think that's also why it resonates with people because I think they can understand that they, they see what ballet represents, just as you said. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I, so when I, I teach a lesson with my high school students where I have them look back and ask at certain ages what they wanted to be when they grew up. And so, you know, when now they have things that are a little bit more realistic because they're looking down the barrel to like college <laughs> and having a career. Um, but I do ask them what they wanted to be when they were five years old. And you hear a lot of the, um, you know, princess, ballerina, astronaut type things. Yeah. Um, and so... I am interested at that age, would you say that that is typical or is that really what this project is about trying to, you know, kind of reignite that, that magic of being a five-year-old? I think it's, it's less of that, that I'm trying to reignite anything in them, especially again, you know, it's really hard with this project because I am, a you know, in my ballet attire as a former ballerina. And so people immediately think, you know, I'm ballet and I'm trying to get everyone to do ballet. Right. And that is a byproduct of it. You know, I do mm -hmm. want to introduce this art form to, and make it accessible for all communities, just for everything that I've gained from it. But it's more what I'm trying to do, especially with the younger kids, because I want to get them while they're young. Mm -hmm to, you know, sort of counter all of the negative stereotypes that we see, or just, you know, just that one story, um, that one story that we, that one narrative that we have of the African-American woman, you know, this sort of, you know, it went from, I was reading, uh, I was seeing one article online that was, you know, kind of spoke to, you know, first it was the, the Mammy, and then it was the Jezebel, 
and then it was, and now it's the, then it was the angry black woman and now it's the strong black woman. Um, and you know, the issue is that is that you're just getting, it's like, we only get one story at a time. It's like, they're never all together. You know, it's never, and, um, you know, you never get the whole woman. It's like, we get one voice, one way we are, and that's all we are. And I want to show these young girls and society that we, we are fully human. We are fully woman. As with any woman, there's, there's, they have moments of anger and rage and frustration, but they also have moments of weakness and vulnerability and, and feeling gentle. And, um, and I think that because the woman of color only ever gets one story, and I, I think that's unfair, it almost makes her not fully human. And so I want young girls to see this side of themselves so early on. So then when they're watching the TV and they're just seeing this constant hypersexualized or, you know, strong woman, nothing ever knocks them down, that they see that, no, you know, we maybe there's that side of us and there's that part of, the, of us, but there's also this part of us and this and this and this, and all of it is okay. You know, if I don't fit into that mold, that doesn't make me less of a woman. That doesn't make me less of a black woman. Uh that it's, it's just a different person that we're not monolithic. You know, we have different sides. We have, even as just a woman, we have different personalities and, and characteristics within us and feelings and emotions. And, you know, one moment I want to throw sass and maybe the next moment I want to just be a little princess and an angel. And, and that is okay. And I want them, I want them to, to have that, that for them. I want them to see themselves in, in another light. And so I'm someone that I'd, it's almost like I'm I'm trying to give um, I'm trying to give uh, another story. Um, there's a um, the well-known Nigerian um, writer uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Love her, love her so much. I adore her. <laughs> and there's a quote that um, that she says on on speaking about the dangers of that singular story. Mm-hmm. Oh, I watched that TED talk. I saw that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so I wrote this quote down and like, I keep it on my laptop because it's just, this is my project. And it's, she says that it shows a people as one thing, Mm -hmm. as only one thing over and over again. And that is what they become. And so that for me, that's what I'm trying to erase from these young girls head. I don't want them to see this one singular image over and over and over again in the media and think that, well, then that's who I am. No matter how much I try to fight against it, at the end of the day, this is who I am. This is who they see me as. I can never break this wall. So I just might as well be that. And I want to show them that, no, that is not all you are. That is not your only option. And while they may look at me and walk away never wanting to be a ballet dancer, like the one young girl said, a princess. Mm-hmm. And that could be a princess in whatever, for mm-hmm. whatever that means for her. But, you know, they can walk away going, you know what? I saw another story today. And what else? What other possibilities are there out there? You know, and next thing you know, they want to be an astronaut. You know, it's just like you just never know, like, what that opens up, what door that opens up for them just by showing them, here's another story Mm -hmm. for you. And that's what I want my project to be. And that's what I want society to see. And so I'm, I'm trying to reach them while they're young and, and, and vulnerable and, and they, they are sort of building their identities and who they are. And if you can kind of impl- plant that seed at a young age, 
even if they maybe never see me again, or, you know, they, they, they have those, those two young girls there will have that memory of being on that sidewalk with me, touching my point shoes, hugging me, touching my tutu, um, the little steps they learned, a couple of tendu and plie and rela, that's going to be there forever, you know, and, and, and when they're watching the television screen and seeing these images, they're going to go, no, I, I, I know that there was also something else. I saw that in, in front of me. I touched it. I held it. Uh, I experienced that. And that's why, I, that's why it's important for me to get out there and to go back into my neighborhoods because it takes not just putting up a flyer and saying, hey, I'm teaching a free ballet class because many may not come because they think they're not interested in ballet or they just may not see it, um, that I'm able to touch more people, um, you know, young and old. And, you know, people coming up to me saying, wow, I've never seen a ballerina before. And just seeing like the sparkle in their eyes of just, I didn't even think I would be this touched by it, you know, <laughs> and just like, they're just fascinated, you know, and these may be individuals who never even thought to go and see a ballet. And maybe I've just, I've changed their mind in some, in some way. And that's, that's all I'm trying to do. Well, I definitely think the whole project, the Swan Dreams project is adding another story to the stories that are out there. And so I do think that your goal is being achieved, especially with this viral recognition and, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> getting the word out there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, another question, what does the current day to day of the Swan Dreams project look like at this point in time? Well, it's definitely changed. That's for sure. With this, uh, you know, this renewed interest in the project, or I should say new, um, it's been a lot of this, a lot of, you know, podcasting right. and you know, f phone interviews and online interviews. But it's also been very interesting because once again, it's almost like this social experiment that I throw those images out there and throw the project out there into the community. And they tell me exactly how that has touched them. And they come back to me with like, I want to do this. I saw this. I got inspired. I want you to do this. And so I've done things like Skyped in with classrooms, oh, wow. uh, which I just, yeah, that was really awesome. The first teacher who did it was um, a fourth grade. It started off as just one fourth grade classroom in Pennsylvania, and it turned into all of the fourth grades of that entire school. Oh, that's because amazing. Somebody got, yeah, someone got wind of it and was like, wait, I want to join in too. So it was like all the fourth graders. And I was, you know, kind of like, how is this going to work? And it was fantastic. The teacher had the kids um, prepare some questions for me, and the questions were just incredible, just about my project and my career, and um, and it was just, you know, they, they the teacher even had all the kids like write, uh, draw me pictures, and she mailed them to me of all like these black ballerinas with the <laughs> Swan Juice Project, and it was just, it was fantastic, and I, I think even just having the kids like draw a black ballerina like that you know, that's going to be in their mind. You know, they drew a ballerina and made her black. Like, I mean, that's, you know, th that's going to stick with them, you know. Um, and that's something and that sticks out to me from uh, Chimamanda Adichie Ngozi's um, yes. TED Talk. She talks about how, as a child, she only read books about white children. And so she was drawing pictures of 
white children eating apples when she had never yes. seen an apple in her life. Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so it sticks, it sticks with you. And, you know, um, someone else, you know, I, I ended up Skyping with another, another dance studio in Florida and had all of those young black dancers, you know, ask me questions. And I've gone to, um, I've done now uh, quite a few uh, school visits where I've actually gone in and done a talk um, about my career and done a question and answer and talked about the project, um, which has just been really fascinating just to go to the schools and, and talk with the kids, especially elementary age, because you can't really get into the depths of, you know, race relations and, you know, stereotypes of black women. But again, having been part of the urban suburban program, you, you come face to face with that at a very young age, younger than some adults, you know, think kids are ready for, um, already with my daughter. Um, my daughter was seven years old at the time. And, um, she's the oldest, my, my, my son is uh, two years younger, two years, nine months. And we were just at a gym and my kids are biracial. My husband is from Sicily and my daughter has lighter skin and my son has darker skin. And, um, they were playing at the children's area at the gym and I went to pick them up and they're usually hyper and super excited and had just a blast at the gym. And, and they were just both kind of melancholy. And I went, what's going on guys? Like what happened? And they just didn't want to talk and then just kind of had their heads hang held low. And it was once we get out the door, I was like, guys, stop. Like what, what is going on? What happened? And my daughter said, well, you know, a little boy told me that I can't play with my brother because he's, because he's black. And I was like, what? And like your, your initial reaction is like the mama bear, Mm-hmm. You know, you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> you just want to like go and confront. And, and then there's goes my, my Aisha just kind of that is able to kind of shut that down, uh, whether I deserve to or not. Um, I shut that off and go, okay, well, I know that's not going to be any good. And that's probably just going to, you know, feed right into the stereotype. Um, and I, and I thought, and then it just made me very sad going, God, I have to face this already. Like, I'm not ready. For it. I'm not ready to deal with this. You know, my son is like, you know, young. My daughter's young. Like, why, why do I have to have this talk? And, you know, should I go in and talk to the kids? Should I? And she told me, you know, I said, well, what did you say? And she said, well, I told him, no, that's my brother. And, I, and I'm absolutely going to play with him. And the kid said, well, that's just what my sister taught me. Um, and it was a, a white, a white uh, kid who, who told my daughter this. And I went, we got to the car and I just put my head, I remember I just put my head on the steering wheel and I think I cried for like five minutes. Um, and then I just sat there in the parking lot and I gave them a talk. You know, I just sort of explained to them that, um, that there's ugliness in the world, that that exists, that people think ugly thoughts, people express these ugly thoughts and they hurt people. But we have the power to take that in. We also have the, the power to transform that and replace that with something very good. And, uh, and we can go on and continuing to plant our good seeds and hope that that overpowers the weeds. Um, and, you know, they were, you know, of course, happy. And, you know, I, I think, uh, as kids do, they just sort of, you know, put that in the back of their mind and just continue on with their day. But I, you know, I hope that that was something that they will take on, um, and carry with them the next time that they have to come face to face with that, which I'm sure they will. Um, 
but you know, kids, you know, it's, it's really, I, I love going into the schools. I love talking, talking with the children. And, and, and I think it's important for even, um, white kids, Asian kids, like also non-black students to see me and to see me as a ballerina, um, to see that I am not the stereotype that they see on the screen. And I faced that firsthand when I went off to Europe, there was a, um, a, a Japanese uh, dancer who was liked by everyone and was just a, just such a funny guy, extremely talented dancer. And noticed, I noticed right away that it was someone that everybody loved and he never talked to me. And at first I thought, okay, it's probably because I don't speak French yet. Um, although I knew that they spoke English and, um, it wasn't until about a year and a half that they began speaking with me and we became great friends. And it wasn't until later that he told me, you know, I was in the beginning, I was very afraid of talking to you. And I was like, why? I don't, I don't see myself as a very scary, <laughs> scary person. Uh, why is that? And he's like, well, you know, the images that I saw of African-American women from uh, African-American women on, on television were always very scary, just very loud and aggressive. And, and I thought you were going to be like that because that's the only thing I ever saw of like, you know, black women, black American women were what I saw on TV because I never had, was never exposed to any of them. And I was like, wow, that's just, that's such a shame. And, but, you know, hopefully just me being me and him seeing another story had, has changed his mind. And the next black woman that he, American woman that he comes face to face with, he won't have that judgment anymore because I've broken down, uh, that wall or that stereotype that he had, um, and so I think it's very important for other cultures to also see me, to for them to be aware that there is another story. Um, I had a woman reach out to me who wanted to make a donation, and she wanted to be certain that the donation went to helping uh, little black girls. And I made it a point to write to her and say, "Well, you know, that is my focus, and what I, you know, I, I want to reach out and I want to touch and affect. But I think it's very important that my project touches all and reaches all." Um, so I'm not going to reserve it just for that. Um, and in the end, she didn't donate. But for me, I was okay with that because I think it's important that my project touches everybody and reaches as far and wide as it can. I definitely I think definitely. that everyone has something to gain from this project, no matter what race, ethnicity, what country they're from, everyone has something to gain, as you've said. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I'd like to move into... Um, you've answered a lot of my questions that I had lined up <laughs> next, <laughs> but okay. you touched on this a little bit, but tell me a little bit more about what you think it means to be a woman in 2018 and what it means to you to be a woman in 2018. Oh, I think in general, what it means to be a woman in 2018 is just one of, of um, great strength and power and, and, uh, um, I don't know. It's a time where I feel, I feel that women in general feel very empowered and, and that their voice is very strong for me to be a woman. Now, um, I feel, um, I don't know. It's almost even, I I'm, I'm even more excited for, for my project because I feel, um, I love what ballet represents and it's something that I, as a woman like to represent. And that's something of, it's sort of these um, sort of opposites um, sides of the spectrum where there's someone who's very, 
you know, maybe seen as, you know, very soft and gentle and, you know, um, lithened, but on the other side is extremely strong and has, you know, this amazing perseverance and endurance and physical strength. And, um, and so I love, I love this sort of mix of that. And, and that's sort of what makes me fully woman. You know, it's like, I, you know, I always, um, talk a lot about, you know, just because I, I cry, don't, don't mistake that for weakness, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, and I, and I think I, I do see a lot of that now. And I always, I, you know, I try to teach that to my daughter that there's sometimes I see a little bit of this sort of anti, um, sort of this, I call it this sort of anti girly girl movement in a way, which I'm kind of, I'm, I'm very against, um, I guess, because I, I don't fit that mold of, you know, what's one thinks of just sort of the girly girl, they sort of just see them as just sort of weak and humble. And, and I'm, I'm very much the woman who loves my, my jewels and pink and fluff and heels and all of that. But don't mistake, I will quickly throw those off to climb a tree. Like, it's, like, it's like, I just, I'm sort of like, I'm sort of all of that. And I guess, um, I don't fit in any of these, these boxes. So I feel that you can be this sort of quote unquote girly girl and, and tomboy and this and that, like all in one, like, why should I have to be labeled one or the other? And I really teach my daughter that. And I, she's totally that, you know, I tried to convince my brother who, who's an artist that can you just draw an image of a girl like on a skateboard with fairy wings and a wizard hat and like, <laughs> a microscope and like, you know, a soccer ball. And like, it's just, it's all of those things. It's like, it's, um, it's, and I try to teach her that you don't need to choose one or the other, you know, you don't have to be anti-pink because it's too girly girl. It's okay. You can, you know, wear pink and still play soccer and still, you know, it's, um, and so for me, that's, kind of the image that I, that I like to push and sort of, um, what I want to promote. And again, it's still, it's breaking stereotypes. It's, you know, kind of, uh, squashing all of the labels. Um, and so for me, I just, it's sort of, you know, being in 2018, being a woman is sort of a celebration of being fully human being with having all of these different characteristics and feelings and all sides of me that I have the freedom to celebrate that. I like that. That's such a positive image. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard in some episodes, and I, I think that this is true also, that, you know, you know, that can be like a blessing and a curse that women do have to juggle being so many things, but looking at it as like a privilege to get to yeah. be so many things is an amazing point of view yeah. for that. I, for me, I like it. And I, and I think that's why I love my art because mm-hmm. especially, well, with the balancing um, choreography, George Balanchine was the, the founder of New York City Ballet, you know, with his, a lot of his choreography, I mean, you could one day in the choreography of New York City Ballet, you know, you could one day be in this tutu and tiara, the next minute you're in like a ballroom gown, waltzing across the stage, the next minute you're doing like, you know, Jerome Robbins cage where you're like an insect and, and that you're, it's this particular insect that like eats the man and you have this like crazy black wig on with black lipstick and you're just attacking the man, the whole ballet. It's like, (laughs) I mean, I just, I love that. I loved going from like one extreme to the other and, and just being able to play with that and not having to choose like, okay, I have to fit in this box or I have to fit in this box. I have to be the tomboy or I have to be the girly girl. It's like, no, I can, I can do it all. And, and, and that's, that's who I, that's Aisha, you know, Mm -hmm. that's who I am. 
Okay, I have one last thing that I need to talk to you about, and it's that yeah. you were the the dancer in the principal um, performance in the oh, movie gosh. Center Stage. <laughs> I can never get away with that. <laughs> Everybody wants to know that. Yes, I mean, I I, I was like in middle school at the time that that movie came out, so that was yeah. very that was just like at the forefront for me. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yes, yes. I was the dance double for Zoe Zaldana in the movie Center Stage. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm glad you. I'm glad you liked it. I love that movie. <laughs> now, good. It's an excuse to watch it again, so I can look for you now. <laughs> it's really funny because it's in that movie. I always tell people when they want to go, oh, I have to go and look for it now. That I, you know, the director was really great because he let me also play myself. So there's mm. moments of in the, the schoolroom, the classroom scenes where, you know, I'm going across the stage in the, the classroom and they'll say like, great Aisha, you know, oh, nice. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's moments that I'd like, I can be myself. Mm -hmm. And then I'm the dance, you know, I'm doing her, her body doubling mm -hmm. for all the, the, the dancing scenes. Well, I remember thinking at some point, I was like, I don't know if Zoe knows how to spin like that. That's, <laughs> that might have to be someone else. <laughs> well, she was a dancer. So we were able to like, you know, just moving the arms mm -hmm. and like the nice port bras like we were able to get her to do. But then it's if you pan down, she was like wearing like her sneakers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, so we were able to kind of, they were able to fudge it a little bit because mm -hmm. she had some, some ballet training. <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> So we're nearing the end of the episode. Is there anything that we didn't touch on or anything that you want to add about yourself or the Swan Dreams project? No, I think uh, one of the main things and some of the, the questions that I get are, you know, people are always curious, like where, you know, if I donate, you know, where are the donations going? And that's something that's huge for me as someone who donates to other organizations. I'm, I'm you know, I want to know, you know, why are you only taking 10%? Where's the, where's the rest mm -hmm. of money going? that 100% of the proceeds from anything that I sell or 100% of just donations go right back into the project. And what does that mean? That means purchasing more images uh, and and shipping those out. Um, since this thing has gone viral, we've sent, we've spent, uh, we've sent and um, printed well over 400 and something images that we've sent out to schools. And, and it's cost, it's costly. Um, we've sent, I've, um, done like 400 bookmarks that are going to a school in Palo Alto. I've purchased ballet bars for a school in Florida that was, they were using PVC pipes that they had kind of put oh together gosh. to create, yes, to create a ballet bar. And I was like, okay, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And they needed costumes as well. They only had one costume that was torn that they used year after year for all the girls. And I would have loved to have been able to purchase costumes as well, but I just, I didn't have enough donations to do it. Um, I, I donate to organizations that have already, are already established and are doing great work in their communities. Um, and I see that they have great need. So when I get donations in, if I can, I also, you know, donate to these organizations because people may donate to me and they don't know about the others, um, where I have this, you know, sort of reach and I, I know about them. Uh, one of the organizations even has a van that they pay for and they go to pick up the children because the parents don't even have transportation to take the kids to ballet class. Um, I've donated, you know, fine art images, which are costly to print um, to organizations that they can use for fundraisers to raise money because they provide free ballet attire and free classes to kids and they have to be able to continue to do that. Um, and right now um, I'm going to be working with a woman 
in Rochester who is a photographer and she has this wonderful, um, her name is Jackie McGriff and she has this wonderful outreach that she does where she tries to build young girls self-esteem through photography. Mm. A lot of young girls who are like, no, I can't take pictures. No, I look horrible. And she got tired of hearing young girls say that. And she's like, no, you will take a picture and you are beautiful. And so we saw that we had a lot in common and we're sort of merging our projects together and sort of going to do sort of a Swan Dreams project with these these young girls. Oh, that's excellent. Um, yeah, so we're sort of raising money right now to purchase costumes for them and um, feed them while they're on the set and, you know, get them in some hair and makeup so they can feel special and wonderful that day. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a question I always get what's happening with the project where the donations and that is what we do, you know, it's just constantly sending out. And before this went viral, I did all of this from my pockets. And so the donations that have been coming in, whether it's $5, $20, $100, it has all been fed right back into doing exactly all that I've said for the project. And it's been, the more I get, the more my reach, uh, is and it's just been it's just been wonderful and I'm extremely extremely grateful for those who have reached out and donated. That's awesome. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can donate to and where they can find out more information about the Swan Dreams project? Yes, so you can go to www.theswandreamsproject.org. There you'll see a link uh, to learn more or to donate. We are. Um, a nonprofit. We got our. We have our nonprofit status through a fiscal sponsor. Our fiscal sponsor is Fractured Atlas, so it'll send you to our Fractured Atlas page, where I have my Swan Dreams project page on uh, Fractured Atlas. You'll be redirected there, and they'll, ex- you know, there you'll have the. They'll explain that it it has tax exempt status, and um, that I'm a nonprofit through them, and so so yeah. And from there, we'll also send you to links to all of my social media pages, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Well, I've decided that my story of subversion for the day today is Aisha. So (laughs) you are the story of subversion. After hearing your story, I can't top that. So (laughs) Um, I'm super honored. (laughs) Thank you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, Aisha, this has been a really fun interview. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I hope that you know, some listeners are inspired to donate or get involved in some way from hearing this episode and just keep doing what you're doing. You're, it's awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me and, and letting me uh, share, share my message with your, with your listeners. It's a, it's a true honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, if you are looking to get in touch with Womankind, uh, make sure you look for us on social media at Womankind Podcast, or you can email us at womankindpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, www.womankindpodcast.com. Bye, friends.